0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome again to Enfleshed by Watch and Walk Ministry. Uh, Enfleshed um, by Watch and Walk seeks to encourage everyone to put on Christ. Uh, that is, apply the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Scripture, um, wherever the person or you may be in the journey of life. My name is Ebenezer and I'm so glad that you are able to join us this um, afternoon. Uh, today we have our team here. Um, before I introduce them, I'll just give a, a, a brief introduction of what we've been doing so far. Uh, for about a month now, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, actually, we started our a flesh series with John chapter 1, where we learned that the Word of God is a person, and the person is Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. And after that, we jumped into Matthew chapter 5, and we've been looking at uh, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, since then. Last week, um, God helped us to understand that uh, as believers we are salt of the earth and then life um, light of the world, and then that means that we are supposed to preserve um, earthly life and enhance earthly life through the good works that um, were ordained for us before the foundation of the world. So, as believers as disciples of Christ, that's what we are supposed to do. And I'm so glad that we are going to continue today. Uh, we'll be looking at, we're going to be look at uh, Matthew chapter five, verse seventeen to twenty. Uh, today's uh, discussion is going to be based on verse 17 to 20 and uh, to help me do that uh, my panelists i think the only new person is uh, jenny she's been working behind the scenes but i'm glad that she's able to join us um, i have uh, mariah humphries uh mariah humphries is a true graduate and she also works with um baylor um, campaign and development uh, communications And then I also have um, Cecily McWayne. Cecily is also um, a student at Truett uh, Seminary here. And she's also a girls youth um, ministry associate at um, Columbus Avenue Baptist Church. And then I have Jenny Chilton. Uh, Jenny Chilton is a Truett graduate and she's a children's minister at Calvi Baptist right here in Waco, um, uh, Texas. And then I have Philip Thomas, uh, my big brother. Okay, so Thomas is a, is a Master of Music student at um, Baylor School of Music, and uh, Thomas is, is a great uh, friend of mine. And we're actually waiting for Richard, Richard Sarpon, last week he had an issue with Cecily, today is Richard, uh, we're hoping that he will be able to join us, uh, but whenever he's able to come on, uh, we just uh, let him come in. But uh, we so glad that you're able to join us, and um, let me just pray with us, and after that, Cecily... We take our scriptures, uh, our scripture for today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. So let me pray with us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Uh, we pray that you open our eyes to see wondrous things in your Lord and, and help us apply what we learn into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Cecily. Amen. Yeah. Okay, let's read Matthew five seventeen
1: through 20 the New King James Version, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for that um, reading, um, Cecily. Now, I'd like to start with Mariah. Now, let's look at verse 17. Verse um, 17. Jesus says that do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophet, but I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Um, Help us understand what does that statement mean, especially with regard to the distraction and fulfillment. What can you tell us? Yeah. So we're,
2: we're coming out of um, the identity portion of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We've done the Beatitudes, and we've talked about um, Jesus has declared who we are, um, and so now we're entering Jesus's view on the law and the theme of righteousness, basically being morally correct, um, begins to come into play here. And so, for the author of the author of Matthew to make sure. Um, it's kind of important for him to point out that Jesus was not here to destroy mm-hmm. um, or remove the law because um, that's very important. So he was making sure that the audience knew that um, he was not a false prophet and rather someone to complete the law and so his divine intent of the Torah in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought one of the um, interesting things about this passage, about this verse specifically, was Jesus saying, I have come. And so this is not um, anything else but a, a declaration. This is a statement, and he's mm-hmm. confirming um, that there's a mission and there's a purpose that he is here for. And so Jesus is um, to be here for a reason, and he is the promised prophet that the scripture um, talks about. And that's important when we're talking about an audience um, of uh, Jews and and just and Greeks as well, but um, Jews know the law and they've been living by it. And so this is important to be able to talk about the intent and the reason why Jesus is here. Um, For us, you know, today, obviously we know that he was there for that reason, but at the time it was important for him to be able to point that out. And so the author Matthew does a really good job of um, declaring that Jesus is on a mission here. Hmm. Um, So I will I'll stop there, but I think that's kind of, that was one of the biggest things out of 17 um, mm. that I hadn't really thought about before, but um, up until recent years, it, it was a little bit more um, important to me to, to note that that was a statement and that's not something that's, there's no discussion around it. He's,
0: he's come here for a specific reason. Mm. He's come for a specific reason and that reason is to fulfill um, the law. Um, Jenny?
3: Yeah, so when I was reading this verse and looking at it and kind of picking it apart, um, I think probably the first thing that stuck out to me was this phrase, the law and the prophets. Um, and it makes me think of immediately Matthew twenty two thirty four through 40, where Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees and asked, what is the most important commandment? And he says, he quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and combines those two sections and says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think that these verses about fulfilling the law and what that means can sometimes be kind of confusing or hard to wrap our minds around. What does it mean to fulfill the law? Um, But I read this and I, like I said, immediately connect to those other verses at the end of Matthew and think about it in terms of this is not Jesus saying that he has fulfilled the law, so we no longer have to worry about it. Instead, it's Jesus saying, look, this is the fulfillment of the law, that you love God with all that you are, your whole person, your whole being, your whole spirit, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. You've made it too hard in essence. You've made it all these these other things and you have forgotten what's at the heart of the law. And so when I read this, I I hear Jesus, first of all, speaking with power and authority. And when you read commentaries on Matthew, Jesus is a parallel to Moses. And so Moses is the one who received the law from God. But here you have Jesus speaking as even more authoritative than Moses and saying, I'm not abolishing the law. I'm actually calling for a deeper and more honest observance of the law, not just the black and white letter of the law, but the actual heart of the law. Wow.
0: Well, thanks a lot. Um, Philip, any other point on that? And What does it mean that he came to fulfill? He, forf- he came to fulfill. What, what do you get from that?
4: Yeah. Ebenezer, that's a very good question. I got three things from it. That is, Jesus fulfills the law in three ways. Through his incarnation, his atonement, and finally his interpretation. So let me briefly elaborate on these three. So incarnation, as Jenny just mentioned, he is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the 60 plus prophecies pointing to Christ. So he's a fulfillment of that through his incarnation. He is also the law. So in John 1, we, we read before that the word became flesh. The implication there is that everything that is in the Old Testament, especially with regard to law and commandments, is, it's lived out in the person of Jesus. So Jesus now is the ultimate source of righteousness and the law. The second thing, atonement. He fulfills the purpose of the law. And that's a key phrase right there. What was the purpose of the law? It's so that the Israelites who are sinful can be in the presence of God, right? Uh, and so they had to meet certain standards of purity in order for that to be accomplished. But Jesus, through his atonement, you know, his sacrifice on the cross, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law once and for all. So through Jesus now, we're reconciled to God in a way that we have the fullness of the presence of God. So it fulfills that purpose of the law, which was intended to bring closeness to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the final thing, Ebenezer, and this is probably, I think, in some ways the most crucial for us to understand, the the, the aspect of interpretation of the law. See, Jesus is the final interpreter of the law. You know, his disciples often called him rabbi, which means teacher. And, you know, uh, one of the functions of a rabbi in those times is to interpret the law in order to obey it. That was the purpose of it. And we see in the passage in Matthew 5, if, you, if we read beyond what we, are reading, we read today, Jesus actually takes some of those commandments and he interprets it. So he, he takes the commandment, you shall not murder. And he interprets it to say, even if you have anger, that is sin. He takes the commandment, you should not commit adultery. He interprets it in saying, even if you have lust, you have sin. So Jesus gives the best, the highest and the clearest interpretation of the law. And the conclusion there is, if Jesus is the final interpreter of the law, there ought to be no confusion. There ought to be no contradiction in our interpretation of of the law. But sadly, in in the church today, we come to different conclusions, different interpretations, because we fail to keep or fail to remember the fact that Jesus actually has interpreted the law and he is a final and ultimate interpreter of the law. And people think, well, there are passages that are not clear And there are some things that the Bible does not speak of very clearly, but that is actually a lie because it kind of assumes that Jesus after his ascension has gone to heaven and he's just watching the earth as if he's watching a show. Uh, The fact is Jesus still speaks. He's still alive and he speaks today. And, you know, and we have an obligation to search the scriptures and also to ask the Holy spirit to guide us in the interpretation of what Jesus gives us as a new commandments. So hmm. the final application here is the Holy Spirit is the best interpretive lens for understanding and obeying hmm. the law. Hmm. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth.
5: Hmm.
4: And the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, which implies that he helps us discern right from wrong. Hmm. Well, we may have differences in practices and doctrine, but when it comes to morality, we ought not to have differences in the church. Mm. That's God's plan for us. Mm. Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter seventeen. Mm. So I would just conclude by saying Jesus fulfills the law through His incarnation, atonement, and interpretation. So Jesus rightly interprets the commandments and the law. Wow. And you know this is this is an important thing to understand for us today because we need wow. to restore. The function of the Holy Spirit
0: to help us understand wow. the truth. Well, wow. God, Holy Spirit, you know, some might call him the, the the Spirit of Christ. All right. Yes. Oh, thank, thanks a lot, um, Cecily. Gosh, I feel
1: like it is so well it's been, been covered. Um, no, I can only affirm really what what everyone um, has said, and and I think that to kind of zoom out a little bit is I always like to remind us that. Matthew, we're going to keep finding this um, happening in Matthew of bringing us back to the Old Testament and so strongly connecting um, the the testimony, the work, and life and practices of Jesus with what's happened in the Old Testament. These are not two disconnected testaments or covenants. These are uh, Jesus is the conclusion, the great climax of everything the Old Testament has been leading up to, and so. Um, that's just something for us to keep saying we're going to find that, especially in the passage we're covering today. Um, but really, as you continue to read the book of Matthew, that's why this this sermon is so pivotal for the whole message of the kingdom of God Is is that this is really setting the stage for as we read the Gospels, even outside of Matthew, this sets the stage for for the, the kind of the grand connection of, of the Testaments. So yeah, thank you, everyone. Those were such helpful yeah, These Yeah, very deep,
0: deep, deep things there. Uh, thanks a lot. Um, yes, and then what I, I can just add, as I said, just affirming all that you have said. And I looked at the original language of destroying the law, like I've come, I have not come to destroy the law. And one, one interpretation or explanation that I really liked was this idea of um, it's like this dissolving, or di- uh, disun- disuniting something that has been united already, um, and that is one thing that really struck me: that this is this is one, this is one law, one law of grace and truth. This is one law of righteousness and peace. This is one law of the law, the love of God. I mean, the commandment of the Lord. And we 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 we, we stand the risk of disuniting it or dissolving it or kind of. Um, using it, you know, abusing it, if we do not let Jesus be the center of our interpretation. And I, I, thank, I, I thank you very much for um, those comments. And one, one other idea about even the fulfillment, I mean, in original language, what I also saw was this idea of making complete, uh, making perfect, uh, making the, the love perfect. And that, I think Jenny talked about it, this idea of establishing or restoring this original intent. And I think um, uh, Philip also mentioned that. Uh, when we're looking at this, uh, Dr. Garland, our own Dr. Garland, uh, he wanted to be part of it, but you know his internet couldn't help him. But, so, but he sent his comments, um, his uh, commentary that he wrote on this part. And I, I just want to read part of it concerning the fulfillment of the law. And he said that uh, Moses, prophes- Mo- Mo- Moses pro- prophesied that God would speak anew to a prophet like himself. That is Deuteronomy 18. And Matthew presents Jesus as the promised prophet who fulfills the long-awaited promise of scriptures. Uh, But fulfillment also implies transcendence. When Jesus appears as God with us, the center of gravity shifts to him. The law and the prophets remain valid, but Jesus is the canon by which to gauge obedience to the scripture and its sole interpretive guide. The so-called antithesis that follows, that's from 21 to 48, made it clear that Jesus is the key for unlocking the meaning of the law and prophets. Um, I really like that statement. So it just kind of captures all that we have said. And I always believe that when we have the spirit of Christ in us and we are really committed to the person and the teaching of Christ, we will not use or we will not abuse the word of God. You know, we will not trample on people um, in the name of our obedience to the word of God. I mean, we will not do that because our commitment to Jesus, our relationship with him, and the spirit of Christ will always keep us and help us, you know, come to the basis and then the important thing. And I think Jenny Jenny really summed that very well, the idea of love for God and love for your neighbor. And thanks a lot. Um, No wonder he said that the law will not pass away. I mean, no part of the law uh, will pass without it being fulfilled because he is a fulfillment of the law. And then he also also fulfilled the, the intention and, and even in Isaiah, Jesus, I mean, God says that his, his word comes to fulfill uh, the purpose for which he sent it. So Jesus being the word of God, he definitely would uh, fulfill the mission uh, for which he was sent by the Father. Uh, thanks a lot once again uh, for those comments. Now let's, let's move to the 19, where it says that, um, I mean, Bible says here that whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to to do so, uh, he shall be called at least in the kingdom, and whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to find out, what is Jesus saying, essentially? um, um,
3: Thinking about, or reading verse 19, um, I think always you have to read a verse in context, right? So thinking about it in terms of Verses that have come before and the ones that come afterwards, and even in the whole context of the book of Matthew and the way that we see Jesus treating the law, we see that Jesus takes the law seriously. So when he says, "Whoever sets aside one of these commands and teaches others to do accordingly um, should be called least in the kingdom of heaven," Mm -hmm. he he really means that. But it's not in the way that the Pharisees and the scribes have thought. Right, so they have lived by these rigid laws and these they've even added to it um if you look up some of the codes that the rabbis of Jesus' time followed, they even had a law that you could only take a certain amount of steps on the Sabbath because if you took more than that, it was considered too much work um and so I'm just struck, I think back to or in the book of mark mark three. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath who has a withered hand. And it's kind of a test, right? The the Pharisees set it up in such a way, um, it says, Mark 3 verse 1, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, as in the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone, then Jesus asked him which is lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life or to kill but they remained silent he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and was completely it was completely restored and so i read this passage in matthew in that greater context of the scriptural narrative and i I'm struck by how often we have a tendency to make it about a checklist. I know I do. You know, I've done these things. I haven't done these things. And to judge ourselves by that. But clearly, Jesus has set an even higher standard. um, And as people who, as a minister, as someone who is called to teach others, I am called to not just teach them the letter of the law, but to teach them how to live that out in a way that as Jesus asked this question to the people in the synagogue, to the Pharisees, what is better to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? And our answer always should be to do good and to save. Um, and so when I read this verse, it seems like it would be very clear that Jesus is saying, you know, follow these laws to the letter. But I think that they're that if we read it in the bigger context and even thinking back to verse 18 about not a bit of the law will be abolished. Um, I think of it in terms of this more holistic and healthy and living law instead of this dead and kind of skeletal law that the Pharisees have been following. Um, instead of being so rigid and so stiff, it is a law that is like in the passage where um, the bones come to life. You know, that's, that in Ezekiel, that is kind of what God is doing here. And he is bringing, Jesus is bringing life back into these bones of the law.
0: Well, Maria, um, you come in and then I'll go to Richard.
2: Yeah, I, I think Jenny covered that very well. Um, and I think that's one of the, one of the things that Jesus is um, so good at in this passage is um He actually kind of makes it harder to um to live by the law because it's it's not just the the checklist um and so he takes us back to what God was intending when um god uh through the beatitudes, but it isn 't just about the letter um it 's about the intention as well, but like Jenny talked about already um it's it 's how are we living it out and it 's not just the um the strictness. Of it, but it's also the the kind <laughs> of ebb and flow between it all. But I I have nothing to add to that one. Um, I just think that's just very um, how uh, we saw, uh, you know how at the time um, they viewed Jesus as um, going against um, this tradition and and actually <laughs> intensifying it and making it a little bit more complete and we get a fuller view of what the law should be um, because he takes us back. To the, to the very beginning of it. So I think that's just always a good reminder as we read it. But I have nothing to add on
0: top of that. Yeah, thanks great. a lot. Yeah, Rich, um, yeah. Uh, thoughts on that. I think you missed out on the first question, but uh, you can briefly talk about <laughs> I it. Apologize. i thought on this one. And then uh, also what it says to leaders, Christian leaders or teachers um, in the Ministry of Teaching. I think it kind of strikes me as well.
6: Yeah, I mean, I have not looked at this passage <laughs> the way I have considered it this past week, uh, in relation to Jesus' statement. Uh, it's, it's caused me to do a deep reflection about his view about the Old Testament and how we as members of his kingdom should treat it. Because as we looked at verse 619, uh, it is clear that he makes this strong statement that he does not belittle the Old Testament teachings, and that anyone who is a member of his kingdom should not belittle it. So that is how I see it, yeah, that Jesus teaches us that the Old Testament moral law is the standard of righteousness in his own kingdom. And I'm sure that's why he states it clearly, that anyone uh, who announces one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever keeps it and teaches others, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. So I think that if you look at Jesus' relation with the Pharisees, uh, he might have received uh, a perception. There is a perception that he he and his followers belittle uh, the Lord. Because at one point, some people like, complain that they fast, but his Pharisees do not. Uh, His followers do not fast as they do. So it was a perception that he and his followers or the disciples actually belittle the Old Testament. Uh, The Lord Jesus responds in this text clearly by saying, let me tell you this, in my kingdom, none of my shepherds, none of my uh, pastors or prophets or apostles or teachers was opposed to a crypt, Uh, the believer for every work of service actually belittles the Scriptures. In my Kingdom, the shepherds preach the uh, Scriptures, and what is more, not only preach it, they also leave it. And I think that is what uh, has been discussed earlier on that, He accused uh, the Pharisees for not even understanding what the Scripture stands for, and they were not able to leave it out. But he's saying to us that His people, or those in His Kingdom, actually understands the scriptures, they believe it fully, they see it as one, as I heard you said earlier, and they live by it. I mean, I, I think it's not like it's old testament and new testament. And I'm a New Testament believer. Mm. So I'm sure that Jesus is saying that you just don't say I'm a New Testament believer and the teachings of the Old Testament is old mm. and obsolete and is not relevant to today's living. Jesus says The full word of God. We should live by every word that precedes out of the mouth of God. That was this defense before the greatest accuser, Satan. And I'm sure he's saying the same here. That each one of us should live by these teachings uh, of the law of the Old Testament, just as we believe the teachings of the New Testament.
0: Yeah. Thanks a lot um, for that. And so uh, from what you are saying, you know, we must be careful the way we present the word of God, the way we teach it. Uh, No wonder James says that teachers will be judged more strictly. And uh, we should be careful uh, in the way we handle the word of God. Uh, We present the whole truth. Uh, Paul said that, I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And sometimes, you know, with that replacement theology syndrome, that we think uh, the church has replaced Israel. New Testament has replaced Old Testament. Uh, we, we, we don't want to even preach uh, from the Old Testament because we think it is you know, obsolete. But the old, for me, is more like, if anything, an old person, if we look at the personality of the word of God, it gives you an experience of what it means to walk with the Lord. I mean, God and walk, walk, walk with the Lord. And so if you look at the experience, and even in the Old Testament, it helps you. And Paul talks about it. Uh, as examples for us, so that we will not make uh, some mistakes. I mean that I mean the, the kind of mistake that they also made. So we should be careful the way we present it. I know I also like this um, example from Ezra, uh, where is it that Ezra prepared his heart um, to teach the law, to do it, and then to teach the statutes. You know, he was not just uh, teaching it, but he was also doing it. So we should be careful the way uh, we present um, the. Uh, word or scriptures um, to people as as leaders, um, Cecily, any uh, point on that, and also uh, let 's move to you just mentioned uh, say anything uh, brief about that, and I'll move to the twenty where we talk about the righteousness unless your righteousness exceeds uh, that of the far- the fires i mean uh, what what kind of righteousness is jesus referring to
1: yeah i mean I think verse 20 really is the perfect continuation, right? He's he's a good teacher, right? So he's, he's, he's perfectly moved us into really coming back to what Jenny stated earlier, is the heart. Where is the heart in obedience? And so we've seen Jesus cares a lot about the law. This is not just throwing that away. We've, we've talked a lot about that. And I think the the righteousness the going a step further that he continues to have problems with we've seen examples today um beyond the passage we're dealing with he continues to have these problems with the the pharisees and they're so concerned about the form right of like the the obedience to the exact letter that they forget maybe the essence of the law what was this supposed to teach us and so where is my heart when I'm obeying a law, when I'm listening to even instruction? Like, am I thinking about, okay, so it literally says to wash, wash people's feet. So this is an example I have a lot actually with young students. is that they say, well, what, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And some churches will even, I know meaning to probably be really artistic and, and beautiful, but will have even like foot washing, feet washing services I try to like, you know, show a great example, an artistic illustration of when Jesus washed his disciples feet and said, oh, look, this is a good thing for us to do. And yes, that's a great an example of, 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 of a message Jesus is teaching about the person in power is actually the one who serves. Right. Wow. That's a great example. But does that mean so I literally when I invite people home, I need to wash their feet or I'm disobeying Jesus or like that's how I obey Jesus. Or again, that's a nice thing to do. And as as far as an artistic example goes, is wonderful. I, I definitely enjoy seeing those in church services. But I think the the righteousness, the heart part of following the law or of, of even trying to learn what it means to be obedient to to the kingdom, to the, the message that we receive from Jesus, mm-hmm. is that what is the essence of that message? Again, like I stated earlier, it's that if I'm the person empowering in my community, then it's not just about p- people being nice to me and like making the system work so that we're nice to the people who we think we're normally nice to, but the person you would least expect to be a servant. That's, that's the person who's a servant. So, um, again, just a, a quick example is like, I have, um, a lot of, a lot of students always asking me like, well, how, how do I show kindness? Like, how do I help this friend? I don't see anywhere in in the Bible that addresses my situation right now. So, well, maybe not, maybe not exactly like you having a tiff with a girlfriend. Maybe that's not exactly letter for letter covered in the Bible, but what have we learned about the essence of the stories of the, of the gospel is that, is there something kind that you can do to, to share a word of, encouragement to somebody? Can you share the hope of the gospel with somebody? Can you meet a need? Can you be a good friend? Okay, go go do those things. That will always be the right thing. Loving God and loving your neighbor, those will always be the right thing to do. So even though I don't have the exact example or the exact word of the law covered for me, I know the essence of the message. And so I know that obedience to God and to the law is not to know exactly what to do so I can check it off. And then especially so I can point out when other people aren't doing it. That's, that's kind of our main tiff with the Pharisees that I'm being righteous and you're not. And here's all the reasons why I can show you the list of how, like what righteousness is and what it isn't. And I can maybe use that against people. Because this, Jesus is actually makes this a lot harder for us. We've talked about that today, that, if you're following Jesus with your, your heart, meaning I'm really trying to follow the essence of what it means to love God and love my neighbor. I mean, sometimes I'm not going to know the exact right thing to do, but I'm going to trust God to lead me, help me to be faithful, even when I don't know what the right answer is. And if I'm wrong, teach me to do better. And that means I don't have a perfect list made out for me all the time, that I have to step out in faith at many points that I rely on my community, I rely on the Word of God, and it's not so easy as just looking at a list and checking it off. It's, this is really a, about a total reliance on God and, and what we saw earlier about being pure in heart and the Beatitudes, that single-heartedness. If my heart is divided, this is going to be hard for us. But when, when my heart is singly focused on God, He's going to be faithful to show us you know, the way, the way to be righteous.
0: Well. Wow. Thanks a lot, um, Cecily. Um, Philip, any, any thoughts on that?
4: Yes, Ebenezer. This is, the righteousness that Jesus is describing is a righteousness where God's word is the foundation of it. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was like self-righteousness, you know, because they thought that their works and their own rules would make them right. It was just external. You know, but the righteousness that Jesus is saying is it exceeds human standards and it can only be enfleshed, Ebenezer, in our lives when we place, you know, the word of God as it is enthroned, you know, in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches. And let me elaborate on that, because two weeks back, I said that our heart is like the Holy of Holies. And if you go back to the Old Testament, what do we find in the Holy of Holies? We find the Ark of the Covenant, an object in which lay, among the other things, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses in stone. So the Word of God, you know, specifically the commandments of God, it represents the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the Holy of Holies. We need to bring the Word of God into our hearts to take the center place of our lives. You know, David says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So... It's really a righteousness that starts with making God's word the foundation of our lives and not just in our hearts. It's a righteousness that is in flesh as the word is enthroned in our homes as well. You know, as, a, as families, we need to build an altar around the word. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Uh, Eric, who is also on this Bible study team. Uh, when I met Eric, as I got to know him, I saw a Christianity that was very different from most other people that I've seen. A Christianity that is victorious, a Christianity that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was curious, Lord, what is it that makes him different? And, you know, how do I get that sort of Christianity? Because I was living in defeat. And then in one of the another Bible study that we had, Eric said something that when he was uh, growing up in his family, his mom used to gather him and his sisters every Saturday. They used to open the word and discuss and read the word and it would go on for hours and they would do that every Saturday. When he said that, Ebenezer, I was blown away. I was like, wow, you know, Saturday is a time most of us would be like, let's chill, let's pursue leisure and do all our extracurricular things and our hobbies and things like that. But here was a family that set apart one day just to you know, delve into the word. And I knew Eric was a result of that blessing of his mom, you know, creating that family altar, building that altar around the word. And so that is so important. We as families need to build an altar around the word when people are going and enjoying life. And not that that is bad, but we keep the word as a center and we devote more time and we pursue it more than others. At you know, times when others won't be doing it. And finally, I'll, I'll finish with this, righteousness is enfleshed as the word of God is enthroned in our churches. So not just in our hearts, in our hearts as we bring the Ark of the Covenant into our hearts, but also as we uh, build an altar uh, in our families around the world and finally needs to be brought in our churches. I'm, I'm so grieved to say, Ebenezer, that this Christianity that I see for the majority in this country it's a very weak Christianity. It's not the Christianity we see in the word. It's diluted and defeated. It may look nice and feel good, but it's not what we see in the word. And that's because there's a thick, dark cloud of moral confusion and personal defeat in, in the lives of so many believers. You know, and it, you know how it started. It started 50, 60 years back. After World War II, there was an economic boom and people were doing really well and people were prosperous. So they kind of slowly started ignoring the word. They started with ignoring, and, and slowly one thing led to, an, to another. And today, we're at a place where people desecrate the word. You know, they reinterpret it to mean things that it doesn't say. So people no longer have a sense anymore of right and wrong, much less of what is righteousness. So reading the Bible and taking it, you know, at face value, it has become an archaic sort of idea but that is how you actually understand the word, you know? So we need to bring the word of God in its purest form back into the churches and let Jesus be the final interpreter and let the Holy spirit be the lens. Hmm. You know, I firmly believe Ebenezer that within the pages of this book, you find all the solutions to life's deepest problems, Hmm. you know, depression, addiction, brokenness, hopelessness, sickness, whatever it may be. And even now, in the social climate today, we face racism as a big problem. The world's answer is social justice, you know. But that is that is like putting a band-aid on a deep flesh wound.
5: Mm.
4: When what, what you need is not a band-aid, you need stitches. The biblical answer is righteousness, because righteousness is biblical justice. Mm. And this righteousness does have its outworkings in society as well. Mm. So wow. uh, an exhortation is let us enthrone jesus you know in our lives by bringing back this ark of the covenant into the holy of holies let's bring the holy word of god into our hearts homes and churches and the last thing i will say is this if the fear of the lord is beginning of the of wisdom as the bible says then a fear of god's word is beginning of righteousness the Mm. kind of righteousness that jesus Mm. is talking about
0: Mm. wow wow that's a lot to take in (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> wow! Uh, thanks a lot, um, uh, Philip. Well, I I I did underline one thing in my heart. Uh, if you want to prevent moral confusion and defeat, you need to go to the Word of God, and uh, that's that's really a powerful and um, statement there. Well, um, I just want to add a few before before we move to the uh, encouragement part. Uh, The more I look at this part, the verse 20, uh, the more I realize that the whole Sermon on on the Mount, I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount is like an implicit critique of the life of the scribes and the Pharisees. Especially when I looked at it and I compared it to Matthew 23, the life of the Pharisees, how they were living. You know, kind of ritualism and legalism and self-righteousness and all that. But, In verse 23 of Matthew 23, the Bible said they they neglected the weightier matters of the law. You know, the weightier matters of the law come back to what we just talked about, the love of God. And Jesus said it is justice, mercy, and then what? Faith. You know, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says that the Lord has showed you, oh man, what is right, and what does he require from you uh, to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So the same idea that Jesus mentioned, I mean, in 23, verse uh, 23 of Micah 23, we see that uh, in Micah. So justice, mercy, and then humility or faith, all, you know, grounded in this love of God and love of neighbor that we're talking about. So you see that, I mean, it's very important that if we, we want our righteousness to over, uh, supersede or transcend that of the Pharisees. I mean, we need to go to the heart uh, of that righteousness, and that is really how we understand, that we get into a relationship, and, then we, and that we let Jesus, you know, come and then be the leader of our righteousness. That, that's how we, we get to understand what he's really trying to say. Thanks a lot, uh, Philip. Now, uh, we're looking at um, all that we, we, we said, I mean, all said and done. Uh, how, how do we encourage those who are listening to us, how do we encourage um, ourselves um, based on this lesson. Uh, Rich, what kind of um encouragement? How does it speak to the situation of the world right now? I think Philip has done a very good job, but um let's let's try and see what, what how we can round it up that way.
6: All right I thank you. I would say that it is it is not just what we do, but it's what we are that is important. Uh, and Jesus is clearly pointing out to us that the life of mercy, the life of purity in the heart, and the life of being a peacemaker is at the core of who a disciple of his is. Uh, so we can be like the Pharisees of trying to quote all the passages of Scripture. We can be like the Pharisees to let the world know that we give a lot to support the church. We can be like the Pharisees uh, by letting everybody know that we seem to be obeying the, bo- the word, but we actually lack meaning and substance. Uh, but, but as a, as a, as a heart, that is a key part of this. And for me, I think that is what Jesus is speaking to, because even in verse 20, when he talks about righteousness, following that, are six key illustrations that he gives us, uh, about what he means by that righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisee, And that righteousness clearly is a life of mercy, is a life of being a peacemaker, and is a life of being pure in the heart. And that is what the world is looking for in the church. They want to see the beauty of Christ in the church. And the beauty of Christ in the church is demonstrating the mercy of God uh, to this world, the demonstrating the purity of God's kingdom to the world, as well as uh, acting as peacemakers uh, and standing in for the vulnerable and the voiceless and being the, must, um, uh, the, the spokesperson uh, for such people who are the minority uh, who has nobody to defend them. The church seems to be, should be in that place. But just like the Pharisee, I believe that the church is missing out on that ground. Right? We are rather putting burdens on people, rather than helping them uh, (laughs) relieve them of those burdens and pointing them to Christ, uh, who can truly give them rest that they are so dearly needs. All right, Jenny.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot here that we can learn from this. And honestly, a lot of times the Holy Spirit shows me different things, different days. Um, And even listening to all of you, I feel like I have been just thinking about so many other things and connections to scripture. Um, First of all, I was thinking while Philip was talking about Psalm 119, 11, you know, kind of that he referenced, how can a young person keep their way pure by living according to God's word? I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And this is a celebration of the law. Um, shortly after that, the psalmist says, you know, that he gives praise to God for the law. He meditates on it day and night. And I think that a lot of times we do, there is this dichotomy of, well, it's just, it feels heavy and it feels hard to to read the Bible or to memorize scripture. And instead, I can just embody the love of God and not read his word. And I think that, you know, as much as we would like to go to one side or the other, God calls us to do both. And God calls us to walk a really hard line as Christians um, and as Christ followers to not just embody god's word without knowing god's word we have to um meditate on it which is that word you know chewing like a cow does how a cow chews the cud which is honestly kind of gross but it you know swallows something and then it has several stomachs where it like regurgitates so it doesn't just pass through the cow and in the same way we're called to meditate on god's word not just let it pass through us but um to regurgitate from you know one part of our mind to another Um, and that's something that, that kind of struck me as I was listening to Philip talk and thinking about the way that we are called to not only embody the word, but to be able to embody and flesh the word, we have to first know the word of God. Um, but then in the midst of that, not to only know it, but then to embody it. Right. So like, like I was saying that hard line, you have to walk of, um, Not of keeping this balance, not letting the law become just dead letters on a page, but rather letting God's word be enfleshed, embodying the spirit of the law, loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also our neighbor as ourselves. Um, Which also made me think about thinking about verse 20 and about the righteousness of the Pharisees, and that ours must surpass the righteousness. First of all, I was thinking, you know, as someone in our day and age who I am a minister, I am probably what would be called a Pharisee. Like, this is very offensive. Like, the Pharisees were very offended when they heard this because they were doing everything right, you know? And I think this passage calls those of us who are, who think we are following God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. I think um, this passage tells us, you know, you may think you have it all together, but unless your righteousness surpasses that of these Pharisees, you're not, you're not going to cut it. And um, which makes me think of Luke 18, 9 through 14, and the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And who is it that God hears and forgives and listens to their prayer? It's, the tax collector, the one who is despised by their religious leaders. And it's not because he has checked all these boxes, but it's because he has a contrite heart. Um, And we know that, you know, the psalmist says, the Lord does not despise a broken and contrite spirit. And so that is, I think, what I come away from this passage um, remembering is that it's not about this kind of self-righteousness. It's about a righteousness that embodies the heart of the law. Like Cecily was saying so much harder than just checking a bunch of things off a list Um, because Jesus, I think Philip mentioned this or maybe it was Richard. Somebody mentioned that, in the passage the verses shortly after this jesus takes everything a step higher so you know we think okay here are these ten commandments but no jesus says you can't even hate your brother in your heart because that's as bad as murder Um, and so it just calls me and i think should call all of us to examine our hearts and why we are doing the things we're doing and whether at the end of the day we think that we've checked a box or whether we have truly Lived in a way that turns over ourselves and our motives and um, our hearts to God and allows Him to examine those things instead of holding them so tight and saying I got it all together, you know, and at the end of the day saying I'm I'm righteous. I'm gonna put these things. I'm gonna put my righteousness over here on this shelf. I'm untouchable, and God must think I'm great. Instead, of saying God, I'm opening up my heart to You and saying. You know, I am a sinner, so show me how, I'm, how I can do better. Show me how I can live in a way that honors you. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, well, we're out of time. And I'll let uh, Maria pray uh, with us But I'm, after I've shared some few thoughts. And um, this has been a humbling time of learning God's word. I really appreciate all of you. Uh, your comments and your insight um, i mean holy spirit is definitely our work and i'm really humbled by what he's teaching us and uh, for those who are watching i mean our object or general objective is that we just want you to we just want to encourage you to put on christ all right and uh, one key thing that we i keep on emphasizing is that the disposition of your heart impacts your capacity to inflesh the values of god's kingdom so all that we are talking about is surpassing righteousness everything has to do with the heart but then there is good news if you're looking at the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, Jesus, I mean, the Bible talks about it. And that in uh, Jeremiah 31, it says that the Lord, the new covenant said, I'll put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. All right. And then no one would tell their neighbor to know the law, but they will know me. And in Ezekiel, he even makes it, you know, it, it takes a step higher by saying that I'll give them a new heart. And then I, give, I put a new spirit within you. I'll take, out the, I'll take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And then I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. All right. So all that we have said, for, for those who are thinking or wondering, uh, how can we really walk in it? How can we uh, apply that? The, the, the answer is that you give your heart to the Lord. You give the, your heart to Jesus. You invite him into your heart. And then let him replace your heart of stone. Let him replace um, your resistance. With the heart of flesh, the ability and that inclination to just obey his teachings. And I'm sure that is the only way that you can uh, walk uh, in this truth. And uh, my prayer is that all of us who are ministers will not be activity driven, will be relationship minded, and will not allow the ministry to take away our devotion uh, to the Lord. So I'll let uh, Maria pray with us. And then after, after she's prayed, I'll, of course, I'll play our theme song, and those of us who are listening, just yes, use that time to reflect and let Jesus make um, and come into your heart and make uh, your heart his home. Maria, you are pray with us. Thank
2: you. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity that each one of us have to be here today. Um, it's just an uh, honor to be able to be among other Christians, just to be able to talk about your word and to talk about your message and to just really take it to heart and to be able to share that. And I just thank you for the challenge that you put before us as Christians, as Christian leaders. um, We have the accountability to stay true to the word of God. um, And we have the accountability to stay true to your entire word and its whole. Thank you for the benefit that we have for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to guide and to counsel. Um, But thank you just so much for just bringing us down to a level that we can understand these words and be able to um, make an impact in our influence, in our sphere of influence, and be able to take these words and make them applicable to our surrounding and to our environment Um, Thank you so much. Keep working in our world. We are a broken, broken world. And so I pray that you continue to um, show us where we have been wrong and show us where we have not um, have true to your word completely. And I just thank you. I'm honored to um, have you in my life. And I just am thankful for Ebenezer and this path that he is taking and encouraging us along
5: this path. In your precious name that we pray. Amen. Search me